Act Two of The Second Mrs. Tanqueray by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Act A Morning Room in Aubrey Tanqueray's House, Hirecombe, near Willowmere, Surrey. A bright and prettily furnished apartment of irregular shape with double doors opening into a small hall at the back another door on the left and a large recessed window through which is obtained a view of extensive grounds everything about the room is charming and graceful the fire is burning in the grate and a small table is tastefully laid for breakfast it is a morning in early spring and the sun is streaming in through the window aubrey and paula are seated at breakfast and aubrey is silently reading his letters two servants a man and a woman hand dishes and then retire after a little while aubrey puts his letters aside and looks across to the window sunshine spring paula glancing at the clock exactly six minutes six minutes six minutes aubrey dear since you made your last remark i beg your pardon i was reading my letters have you seen aline this morning paula coldly your last observation but one was about aline dearest what shall i talk about aline breakfasted two hours ago morgan tells me and then went out walking with her dog she wraps up warmly i hope this sunshine is deceptive i ran about the lawn last night after dinner in satin shoes were you anxious about me certainly paula melting really you make me wretchedly anxious you delight in doing incautious things you are incurable oh what a beast i am going to him and kissing him then glancing at the letters by his side a letter from cayley he is staying very near here with mrs very near here with the lady whose chimneys we have the honour of contemplating from our window with mrs cortelion yes mrs cortelion the woman who might have set the example of calling on me when we first threw out roots in this deadly lively soil deuce take mrs cortelion hush my dear girl paula returning to her seat oh i know she's an old acquaintance of yours and of the first mrs tanqueray and she joins the rest of em in slapping the second mrs tanqueray in the face however i have my revenge she's six and forty and i wish nothing worse to happen to any woman well she's going to town cayley says here and his visit's at an end he's coming over this morning to call on you shall we ask him to transfer himself to us do say yes yes aubrey gladly ah ha old cayley paula coldly he'll amuse you and you too because you find a companion shall i be boisterously hilarious come come he talks london and you know you like that london london or heaven which is further from me paula oh oh i'm so bored aubrey aubrey gathering up his letters and going to her leaning over her shoulder baby what can i do for you 
I suppose nothing. You have done all you can for me. What do you mean? You have married me. He walks away from her thoughtfully to the writing table. As he places his letters on the table, he sees an addressed letter, stamped for the post, lying on the blotting book. He picks it up. Aubrey, in an altered tone. You've been writing this morning before breakfast? Paula, looking at him quickly, then away again. Ah, uh, that letter. Aubrey, with the letter in his hand. To Lady Oried. Why? Why not? Mabel's an old friend of mine. Are you corresponding? I heard from her yesterday. They've just returned from the Riviera. She seems happy. Aubrey, sarcastically. That's good news. Why are you always so cutting about Mabel? She's a kind-hearted girl. Everything's altered. She even thinks of letting her hair go back to brown. She's Lady Oraid. She's married to George. What's the matter with her? Aubrey, turning away. Oh! You drive me mad sometimes with the tone you take about things. Great goodness, if you come to that. George Oraid's wife isn't a bit worse than yours. He faces her suddenly. I suppose I needn't have made that observation. No, there was scarcely a necessity. He throws the letter onto the table and takes up the newspaper. I am very sorry. All right, dear. Paula, trifling with the letter. I... I'd better tell you what I've written. I, I meant to do so, of course. I... I've asked the Oraids to come and stay with us. He looks at her and lets the paper fall to the ground in a helpless way. George was a great friend of Cayley's. I'm sure he would be delighted to meet them here. <laughs> they say Oriette has taken to tippling at dinner. Heavens above! Oh, I've no patience with you. You'll kill me with this life. She selects some flowers from a vase on the table, cuts and arranges them, and fastens them in her bodice. What is my existence, Sunday to Saturday? In the morning a drive down to the village with the groom? To give my orders to the tradespeople? At lunch, you and Aline? In the afternoon, a novel. The newspapers. If fine, another drive. If fine. Tea, you and Aline. Then two hours of dusk. Then dinner, you and Aline. Then a game of Bessike, you and I, while Aline reads a religious book in a dull corner. Then a yawn from me, another from you, a sigh from Aline. Three figures suddenly rise. Good night, good night, good night. Mwah. God bless you. Yes, yes, Paula. Yes, dearest. That's what it is now. But, by and by, if people begin to come round us... Ha! That's where we've made the mistake, my friend Aubrey. Pointing to the window. Do you believe these people will ever come round us? Your former crony, Mrs. Cortelion? Or the grim old vicar? Or that wife of his whose huge nose is positively indecent? Or the Ullathorns? Or the Gollans? Or Lady William Petras? I know better. When the young ones gradually take the place of the old, there will still remain the sacred tradition that the dreadful person who lives at the top of the hill is never, under any circumstances, to be called upon. And so we shall go on here, year in, year out, until the sap is run out of our lives, and we're stale and dry and withered from sheer solitary respectability. Upon my word, I wondered that we didn't see that we should have been far happier if we'd gone in for the devil-may-care, cafe-living sort of life in town. 
after all i have a set and you might have joined it it's true i did want dearly dearly to be a married woman but where's the pride in being a married woman among married women who are married if seeing that aubrey's head has sunk into his hands aubrey my dear boy you're not crying he looks up with a flushed face aline enters dressed very simply for walking she is a low-voiced grave girl of about nineteen with a face somewhat resembling a madonna towards paula her manner is cold and distant aubrey in an undertone aline good morning papa good morning paula paula puts her arms around aline and kisses her aline makes little response good morning we've been breakfasting this side of the house to get the sun she sits at the piano and rattles at a gay melody seeing that paula's back is turned to them aline goes to aubrey and kisses him he returns the kiss almost furtively as they separate the servants re-enter and proceed to carry out the breakfast table aubrey to aline i guess where you've been there's some gorse clinging to your frock aline removing a sprig of gorse from her skirt rover and i walked nearly as far as blackmore the poor fellow has a thorn in his pad i'm going upstairs for my tweezers aline she returns to him paula is a little depressed out of sorts she complains that she has no companion i am with paula nearly all the day papa ah but you're such a little mouse paula likes cheerful people about her i'm afraid i'm naturally rather silent and it's so difficult to seem to be what one is not i don't wish that aline i will offer to go down to the village with paula this morning shall i aubrey touching her hand gently thank you do when i've looked after rover i'll come back to her she goes out paula ceases playing and turns on the music-stool looking at aubrey well have you and aline had your little confidence confidence do you think i couldn't feel it like a pain between my shoulders aline is coming back in a few minutes to be with you bending over her paula paula dear is this how you keep your promise oh rising impatiently and crossing swiftly to the settee where she sits moving restlessly i can't keep my promise i am jealous it won't be smothered i see you looking at her watching her your voice drops when you speak to her i know how fond you are of that girl aubrey what would you have i've no other home for her she is my daughter she's your saint saint aline you have often told me how good and sweet you think her good yes do you imagine that makes me less jealous going to him and clinging to his arm aubrey there are two sorts of affection the love for a woman you respect and the love for a woman you love she gets the first from you i never can hush hush you don't realize what you say if aline cared for me only a little it would be different i shouldn't be jealous then why doesn't she care for me she 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 will in time you can't say that without stuttering her disposition seems a little unresponsive she resembles her mother in many ways 
I can see it every day. She's marble. It's a shame. There's not the slightest excuse. For all she knows, I'm as much a saint as she, only married. Dearest, help me to win her over. Help you? You can. Teach her that it is her duty to love me. She hangs on every word you speak. I'm sure, Aubrey, that the love of a nice woman who believed me to be like herself would do me the world of good. You'd get the benefit of it as well as I. It would soothe me. It would make me less horribly restless. It would take this, this mischievous feeling from me. Coaxingly. Aubrey. Have patience. Everything will come right. Yes, if you help me. In the meantime, you will tear up your letter to Lady Oread, won't you? Paula, kissing his hand. Of course I will. Anything. Ah, thank you, dearest. Oh, why, good gracious! <laughs> Just imagine St. Helene and that woman side by side. Paula, going back with a cry. Ah! Oh, what? It's Helene you are considering, not me. It's all Helene with you. Helene, Helene! Helene re-enters. Did you call me, Paula? Clenching his hands, Aubrey turns away and goes out. Is Papa angry? I drive him distracted sometimes. There, I confess it. Do you? Oh, why do you? Because I... because I'm jealous. Jealous? Yes, of you. Aline is silent. Well, what do you think of that? I knew it. I've seen it. It hurts me dreadfully. What do you wish me to do? Go away? Leave us? Beckoning her with a motion of the head. Look here. Aline goes to Paula slowly and unresponsively. You could cure me of my jealousy very easily. Why don't you like me? What do you mean by like you? I don't understand. Love me. Love is not a feeling that is under one's control. I shall alter as time goes on, perhaps. I didn't begin to love my father deeply till a few months ago, and then I obeyed my mother. Ah, yes. You dream things, don't you? See them in your sleep? You fancy your mother speaks to you? When you have lost your mother, it is a comfort to believe that she is dead only to this life, that she still watches over her child. I do believe that of my mother. Well, and so... You haven't been bidden to love me? Aline, after a pause, almost inaudibly. No. Dreams are only a hash-up of one's day thoughts, I suppose you know. Think intently of anything, and it's bound to come back to you at night. I don't cultivate dreams myself. Oh, I knew you would only sneer. I'm not sneering, I'm speaking the truth. I say that if you cared for me in the daytime, I should soon make friends with those nightmares of yours. Aline, why don't you try to look on me as your second mother? Of course, there are not many years between us, but I'm ever so much older than you, in experience. I shall have no children of my own, I know that. It would be a real comfort to me if you would make me feel we belong to each other. Won't you? Perhaps you think I'm odd, not nice. Well... The fact is, I've two sides to my nature, and I've let the one almost smother the other. A few years ago I went through some trouble, and since then I haven't shed a tear. I believe, if you put your arms around me, just once, I should run upstairs and have a good cry. There, 
I've talked to you as I've never talked to a woman in my life. Aline, you seem to fear me. Don't. Kiss me. With a cry, almost of despair, Aline turns from Paula and sinks on to the settee, covering her face with her hands. Oh, why is it? How dare you treat me like this? And what do you mean by it? What do you mean? A servant enters. Mr. Drumley, ma'am. Cayley Drummle, in riding dress, enters briskly. The servant retires. Paula, recovering herself. Well, Cayley. Drummle, shaking hands with her cordially. How are you? Shaking hands with Aline, who rises. I saw you in the distance an hour ago, in the gorse near Stapleton's. I didn't see you, Mr. Drummle. My dear Aline, it is my experience that no charming young lady of nineteen ever does see a man of forty-five. <laughs> Aline going to the door. Paula, Papa wishes me to drive down to the village with you this morning. Do you care to take me? Paula, coldly. Oh, by all means. Pray tell Watts to balance the cart for three. Aline goes out. How's Aubrey? Very well, when Aline's about the house. And you? I needn't ask. Paula, walking away to the window. Oh, a dog's life, my dear Cayley, mine. Eh? Doesn't that define a happy marriage? I'm sleek, well-kept, well-fed, never without a bone to gnaw and fresh straw to lie upon. Gazing out of the window. Oh, dear me. Hmm. Well... I heartily congratulate you on your kennel. The view from the terrace here is superb. Yes, I can see London. London? Not quite so far, surely. I can. Also the Mediterranean on a fine day. I wonder what Algiers looks like this morning from the sea. Impulsively. Oh, Cayley, do you remember those jolly times on board Peter Jarman's yacht when we lay off stopping suddenly seeing drummle staring at her good gracious what are we talking about aubrey enters aubrey to drummle dear old chap has paula asked you not yet we want you to come to us now that you're leaving mrs cordelion at once today stay a month as long as you please eh paula as long as you can possibly endure it do cayley Drummle looking at Aubrey. Delighted. To Paula. Charming of you to have me. My dear man, you're a blessing. I must telegraph to London for more fish. A strange appetite to cater for. Something to do, to do, to do. She goes out in a mood of almost childish delight. Drummle eyeing Aubrey. Well? Aubrey with a wearied, anxious look. Well, Cayley? How are you getting on? My position doesn't grow less difficult. I told you, when I met you last week, of this feverish, jealous attachment of Paula's for Aline. Yes. I hardly know why. But I came to the conclusion that you don't consider it an altogether fortunate attachment. Aline doesn't respond to it. These are early days. Aline will warm towards your wife by and by. Ah, but there's the question, Cayley. 
What question? The question which positively distracts me. Eline is so different from most women. I don't believe a purer creature exists out of heaven. And I, I asked myself, am I doing right in exposing her to the influence of poor Paula's light, careless nature? My dear Aubrey. That shocks you? So it does me. I assure you, I long to urge my girl to break down the reserve which keeps her apart from Paula. But somehow I can't do it. Well, I don't do it. How can I make you understand? But when you come to us, you'll understand quickly enough. Cayley, there's hardly a subject you can broach on which poor Paula hasn't some strange, out-of-the-way thought to give utterance to, some curious, warped notion. They are not mere worldly thoughts unless, good God, they belong to the little hellish world which our black guardian has created. No, her ideas have too little calculation in them to be called worldly. But it makes it the more dreadful that such thoughts should be ready, spontaneous, that expressing them has become a perfectly natural process, that her words, acts even, have almost lost their proper significance for her, and seem beyond her control. Ah! Uh, and the pain of listening to it all from the woman one loves, the woman one hoped to make happy and contented, who was really and truly a good woman, as it were, maimed. Well, this is my burden, and I shouldn't speak to you of it but for my anxiety about Aline. Aline, what is to be her future? It is in my hands. What am I to do? Cayley, when I remember how Aline comes to me, from another world, I always think, when I realize the charge that's laid on me, I find myself wishing, in a sort of terror, that my child were safe under the ground. My dear Aubrey, aren't you making a mistake? Very likely. What is it? A mistake, not in regarding your Aline as an angel, but in believing that, under any circumstances, it would be possible for her to go through life without getting her white robe, um, shall we say, a little dusty at the hem. Don't take me for a cynic. I'm sure there are many women upon earth who are almost divinely innocent. But being on earth, they must send their robes to the laundry occasionally. Ah, and it's right that they should have to do so. For what can they learn from the checking of their little washing bills but lessons of charity? Now I see but two courses open to you for the disposal of your angel. Yes? You must either restrict her to a paradise which is, like every earthly paradise, necessarily somewhat imperfect, or treat her as an ordinary flesh-and-blood young woman, and give her the advantages of that society to which she properly belongs. Advantages? My dear Aubrey, of all forms of innocence, mere ignorance is the least admirable. Take my advice. Let her walk and talk and suffer and be healed with the great crowd. Do it and hope that she'll some day meet a good, honest fellow who'll make her life complete, happy, secure. Now you see what I'm driving at. A sanguine program, my dear Cayley. Oh, I'm not poo-pooing it. Putting sentiment aside, of course I know that a fortunate marriage for Erlene would be the best perhaps the only solution of my difficulty. But you forget the danger of the course you suggest. Danger? 
If Aline goes among men and women, how can she escape from learning, sooner or later, the history of poor Paula's old life? Hmm. You remember the episode of the jeweler's son in the Arabian Nights? <laughs> of course you don't. Well, if your daughter lives, she can't escape what you're afraid of. Aubrey gives a half-stifled exclamation of pain. And when she does hear the story, surely it would be better that she should have some knowledge of the world to help her to understand it? To understand. To understand. To... to... Uh, philosophize. To philosophize? Philosophy is toleration, and it is only one step from toleration to forgiveness. You're right, Cayley. I believe you always are. Yes, yes. But even if I had the courage to attempt to solve the problem of Aline's future in this way, I... I'm helpless. How? What means have I now of placing my daughter in the world I've left? Oh, some friend. Some woman friend. I have none. They're gone. You're wrong there. I know one. Aubrey, listening. That's Paula's cart. Let's discuss this again. Drummle going up to the window and looking out. It isn't the dog cart. Turning to Aubrey. I hope you'll forgive me, old chap. What for? Whose wheels do you think have been cutting ruts in your immaculate drive? A servant enters. Mrs. Cortelion, sir. Mrs. Cortelion? Very well. The servant withdraws. What on earth is the meaning of this? <clears throat> While I've been our old friend's guest, Aubrey, we have very naturally talked a good deal about you and yours. Indeed, have you? Yes. And Alice Cortelion has arrived at the conclusion that it would have been far kinder had she called on Mrs. Tankery long ago. She's going abroad for Easter before settling down in London for the season, and I believe she has come over this morning to ask for Aline's companionship. Oh, I see. Frowning. Quite a friendly little conspiracy, my dear Cayley. Conspiracy? <laughs> Not at all, I assure you. <laughs> Aline enters from the hall with Mrs. Cortelian, a handsome, good-humoured, spirited woman of about forty-five. Papa! Mrs. Cortelian to Aubrey, shaking hands with him heartily. Well, Aubrey, how are you? I've just been telling this great girl of yours that I knew her when she was a sad-faced, pale baby. How is Mrs. Tanqueray? I have been a bad neighbor, and I'm here to beg forgiveness. Is she indoors? She's upstairs putting on a hat, I believe. Mrs. Cortelian sitting comfortably. <sighs> she looks round. Drummle and Aline are talking together in the hall. We used to be very frank with each other, Aubrey. I suppose the old footing is no longer possible, eh? If so, I'm not entirely to blame, Mrs. Cortelion. Mrs. Cortelion? Hmm. No, I admit it. But you must make some little allowance for me, Mr. Tanqueray. Your first wife and I, as girls, were like two cherries on one stalk. 
and then i was the confidential friend of your married life that post perhaps wasn't altogether a sinecure and now well when a woman gets to my age i suppose she's a stupid prejudiced conventional creature however i've got over it and giving him her hand i hope you'll be enormously happy and let me be a friend once more thank you alice that's right i feel more cheerful than i've done for weeks but i suppose it would serve me right if the second mrs tankery showed me the door do you think she will aubrey listening here is my wife mrs cortelyon rises and paula enters dressed for driving she stops abruptly on seeing mrs cortelyon paula dear mrs cortelyon has called to see you paula starts looks at mrs cortelyon irresolutely then, after a slight pause, barely touches Mrs. Cortelyon's extended hand. Paula, whose manner now alternates between deliberate insolence and assumed sweetness, Mrs. What name, Aubrey? Mrs. Cortelyon. Cortelyon? Oh, yes, Cortelyon. Mrs. Cortelyon, carefully guarding herself throughout against any expression of resentment aubrey ought to have told you that alice cortelyon and he are very old friends oh very likely he has mentioned the circumstance i have quite a wretched memory you know we are neighbours mrs tankery neighbours are we really won't you sit down they both sit neighbours that's most interesting very near neighbours you can see my roof from your window i fancy i have observed a roof but you have been away from home you have only just returned i what makes you think that why because it is two months since we came to hyacum and i don't remember your having called your memory is now terribly accurate no i've not been away from home and it is to explain my neglect that i am here rather unceremoniously this morning Oh, to explain, quite so. With mock solicitude. Ah, oh, you've been very ill. I ought to have seen that before. Ill? You look dreadfully pulled down. We poor women show illness so plainly in our faces, don't we? Aubrey, anxiously. Paula, dear, Mrs. Cortelyon is a picture of health. Mrs. Cortelyon, with some asperity. I have never felt better in my life. Paula, looking round innocently. Have I said anything awkward, Aubrey? Tell Mrs. Cortelyon how stupid and thoughtless I always am. Mrs. Cortelyon, to Drummle, who is now standing close to her. Oh, really, Cayley. He soothes her with a nod and smile and a motion of his finger to his lip mrs tankeray i am afraid my explanation will not be quite so satisfactory as either of those you have just helped me to you may have heard but if you have heard you have doubtless forgotten that twenty years ago when your husband first lived here i was a constant visitor at higher coombe twenty years ago 
Fancy, I was a naughty little child then. Possibly. Well, at that time, and till the end of her life, my affections were centred upon the lady of this house. Were they? That was very sweet of you. Aline approaches Mrs. Cortellian, listening intently to her. I will say no more on that score, but I must add this. When two months ago you came here, I realized, perhaps for the first time, that I was a middle-aged woman, and that it had become impossible for me to accept without some effort a breaking in upon many tender associations. There, Mrs. Tanqueray, that is my confession. Will you try to understand it and pardon me? Paula, watching Aline, sneeringly. Aline, dear, you appear to be very interested in Mrs. Cortelion's reminiscences. I don't think I can do better than make you my mouthpiece. There is such sympathy between us. What do you say? Can we bring ourselves to forgive Mrs. Cortelion for neglecting us for two weary months? Mrs. Cortelion, to Aline, pleasantly. Well, Aline... With a little cry of tenderness, Aline impulsively sits beside Mrs. Cortellian and takes her hand. Oh, my dear child. Paula in an undertone to Aubrey. Aline isn't so very slow in taking to Mrs. Cortellian. Mrs. Cortellian to Paula and Aubrey. Come, this encourages me to broach my scheme, Mrs. Sankery. It strikes me that you two good people are just now excellent company for each other, while Aline would perhaps be glad of a little peep into the world you are anxious to avoid. Now, I am going to Paris tomorrow, for a week or two, before settling down in Chester Square, so... Don't gasp, both of you. If this girl is willing, and you have made no other arrangements for her, will you let her come with me to Paris? and afterwards remain with me in town during the season. Aline utters an exclamation of surprise. Paula is silent. What do you say? Paula, Paula, dear. Hesitatingly. My dear Mrs. Cordelion, this is wonderfully kind of you. I am really at a loss to... Eh, hey, Cayley? Drummle watching Paula apprehensively. Kind? Now I must say I don't think so. I begged Alice to take me to Paris, and she declined. I am thrown over for Eline. Ha ha ha! What nonsense you talk, Kaylee! <laughs> the laughter dies out. Paula remains quite still. Paula, dear? Paula, slowly collecting herself. One moment. I... I don't quite... To Mrs. Cortellian. You propose that Eline leaves Hyacomb almost at once, and remains with you some months? It would be a mercy to me. You can afford to be generous to a desolate old widow. Come, Mrs. Tanqueray, won't you spare her? Won't I spare her? Suspiciously. Have you mentioned your plan to Aubrey before I came in? No, I had no opportunity. Nor to Aline? Oh, no. Paula looking about her in suppressed excitement. 
this hasn't been discussed at all behind my back my dear mrs tanqueray elaine let us hear your voice in the matter i should like to go with mrs cortellian ah oh. that is if 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 what elaine looking towards aubrey appealingly papa paula in a hard voice oh of course i forgot to aubrey my dear aubrey it rests with you naturally whether i am to lose elaine lose elaine advancing to paula there is no question of losing elaine you would see elaine in town constantly when she returned from paris isn't that so mrs corleone certainly <laughs> oh i didn't know i should be allowed that privilege privilege my dear mrs tanqueray ha ha that makes all the difference doesn't it aubrey with assumed gaiety all the difference i should think so to aline laying his hand upon her head tenderly and you are quite certain you wish to see what the world is like on the other side of blackmoor if you are willing papa i am quite certain aubrey looking at paula irresolutely then speaking with an effort then i i am willing paula rising and striking the table lightly with her clenched hand that decides it there is a general movement excitedly to mrs cortelyon who advances towards her when do you want her we go to town this afternoon at five o'clock and sleep to-night at bailey's there is barely time for her to make her preparations i will undertake that she is ready i've a great deal to scramble through at home too as you may guess good-bye paula turning away mrs cortelyon is going paula stands looking out of the window with her back to those in the room mrs cortelyon to drummle cayley eh i've gone through it for the sake of aubrey and his child but i i feel a hundred is that a mad woman of course all jealous women are mad he goes out with aubrey mrs cortelyon hesitatingly to paula good-bye mrs tanqueray paula inclines her head with the slightest possible movement then resumes her former position aline comes from the hall and takes mrs cortelyon out of the room after a brief silence paula turns with a fierce cry and hurriedly takes off her coat and hat and tosses them upon the settee oh, oh, oh. she drops into the chair as aubrey returns he stands looking at her who's that i you have altered your mind about going out yes please to ring the bell aubrey touching the bell you are angry about mrs corleone and aline let me try to explain my reasons be careful what you say to me just now i have never felt like this except once in my life be careful what you say to me a servant enters paula rising is watts at the door with the cart yes ma'am tell him to drive down to the post office directly with this picking up the letter which has been lying upon the table with that yes my letter to lady orade 
giving the letter to the servant who goes out. Surely you don't wish me to countermand any order of yours to a servant. Call the man back. Take the letter from him. I have not the slightest intention of doing so. I must, then. Going to the door. She snatches up her hat and coat and follows him. What are you going to do? If you stop that letter, I walk out of the house. He hesitates, then leaves the door. I am right in believing that to be the letter inviting George Oriad and his wife to stay here, am I not? Oh, yes, quite right. Let it go. I'll write to him by and by. Paula, facing him. You dare! Hush, Paula! Insult me again, and upon my word I'll go straight out of the house. Insult you? Insult me! What else is it? My God, what else is it? What do you mean by taking Eileen from me? Listen. Listen to me. And how do you take her? You pack her off in the care of a woman who has deliberately held aloof from me, who's thrown mud at me. Yet this Cortelion creature has only to put foot here once to be entrusted with the charge of a girl you know ideally want to keep near me. Paula, dear, hear me. Ah, oh, of course, of course. I can't be so useful to your daughter as such people as this, so I'm to be given the go-by for any town friend of yours who turns up and chooses to patronise us. Ha! Huh, very well. At any rate, you take Eileen from me, you justify my looking for companions where I can most readily find them. You wish me to fully appreciate your reason for sending that letter to Lady Oriad? Precisely. I do. And could you, after all, go back to associates of that order? It's not possible. Paula, mockingly. What? Not after the refining influence of these intensely respectable surroundings? Going to the door. We'll see. Paula! We'll see! She goes out. He stands still, looking after her. End of the second act.